Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas that you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. This is now exclusively part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, uh, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University, and I'm excited to introduce our co-host for today's show, former Congressman Dennis Ross. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Grateful it's a pleasure to, ha- to be here. have you with us, and you are now and doing an incredible job, an amazing job as director of, of the American Center for Political Leadership, uh, and it's always, uh, always an honor to have a conversation with you. So thank you. Thank you very much for being with us. Um, You know, in today's uh, episode, I'm looking forward to our conversation about navigating uh, politics in what seems to be a a definitely a polarized society. There's no denying that our country finds itself, I think, at a at a crossroads in in the way that we do politics. And and now more than ever, uh, it has become so difficult for anyone to have even a a simple conversation with people who who come from different sides of, of the political issues. And uh, Dennis, from your, your perspective, how have we gotten to where we are in well, politics? Well, you know, I, I, I attribute some of this to social media that has kind of uh, allowed us to hide behind uh, a machine and make comments and not have to worry about their implications. But I think it's also part and parcel of the fact that we have failed to understand the history of this nation and the greatness of that history. And if we had any concept as a nation of our history, we would understand that we've been there before. We've been in much worse times. and We've seen polarization more significant and more protracted than we have today. And unfortunately, you know, when we, sh- when we, when we quit requiring civics and U.S. history as fundamental classes in K through 12 and in college curriculums, we saw a decline. And when you when you can't understand how you effectuate change, you're going to lead to chaos. And that's right. kind of led us to where we are today. Yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, in, in 2021, we find ourselves, of course, under a new uh, presidential administration. President Biden has promised the American people that he wants to I mean, his his inauguration speech was I thought was a great speech. I did too. Um, and and you know I'm thinking, wow, yeah, is wanting to unify this fractured country. And I hope that it it isn't an empty promise that we will um, we will see that uh, take place. But Dennis, you've you've been in the public arena long enough to know how politics works. And uh, do you believe that um, that President Biden is is going to truly try and follow through with this mission, or do you think it was just a great speech? Well, it was a great speech, and it gave me great promise that if he followed through and exercised the unification, the bringing of the nation together thereafter, that we would begin healing as a nation. Unfortunately, he didn't repudiate or or call off the impeachment, which we all knew was going nowhere. Uh, We have a history in this nation. Just recently, when Gerald Ford became president, and he pardoned Richard right, Nixon. Right. And he did so despite the guilt of Richard Nixon, but he knew that this nation needed to heal. Now, in doing that, it upset some people in his party. It upset people in the Democratic Party. But what it did is it forced us to come together and look forward as a nation. It did co- uh, cost him his election in 1976, but it unified the nation. So we have a precedent for exercising a unifying action to bring our nation together. Time will tell. And I think that this president has the greatest opportunity in a long time to bring this nation together because this nation is craving some sense of leadership that unifies and doesn't divide. How does that happen? How, how, how do you begin to make that happen? How do you get both sides of the aisle to, I guess, I don't know if the word is compromise, but you've got to 
What, what, yeah, and I'll tell you what, right now we're not on track for that. When we're looking at this COVID stimulus package that's coming through, it's coming through totally partisan. In fact, so partisan that they're talking about putting it through reconciliation. That's the plan right now in the Senate, which means it goes through with 51 votes, which means not a Republican's going to support it because of the, some of the items that are in there, including a $15 minimum wage mandate. This president needs to come across and say, look, I represent everybody now. And I need to have some Republican input on this. Tip O'Neill and, and, and Ronald Reagan were good about this. Exactly. They worked together because they knew they each had to take something home. And the pendulum swings. You know, we have an election every two years for a reason. And one of the reasons is that we change leadership. And, if, and the president the, uh, is always at risk in a midterm election of losing more seats uh, in both houses of Congress. And, and it's so close right now in both the House and the Senate that this president, if he were to reach across the aisle, if he were to do bipartisan bills, if we were at least to engage them publicly, he would have a better chance of not only bringing this nation together, but also solidifying his leadership right. in this Congress. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that, that you, you made about earlier about Gerald Ford bringing unity at the cost of winning political points. Yes. And, and I like that. But how did, how did we arrive at the point where politically, uh, political leaders care more about, about winning points for their side than actually creating the solutions? Because that's all it seems like. Uh, I mean, it's like you go into it. And why even have a conversation? Because you know that that's all they're going to... What gonna, the outcome's going to yes. be. Yes. It, it, it has become such a staged process. I mean, look at our national conventions now. Uh, they are essentially theatrical productions. They, we know the outcome. Yeah. yeah they, and, you know, but, but as far back as 1980, we didn't know. As, you know, we, they actually had to go in and have the debates. They had to, and these were just partisan debates. Today, we were, you know, when I was in Congress, our leadership was afraid of putting an issue on a, a, a bill on the board if they didn't know they could win it. And, and you can't do that. You've got to let it go up for a vote, up or down. That's the only way you empower the people who elected you to be there. Otherwise, it's all leadership driven from the top down. Money's been a big part of it, as we all know, in order to try to gain you know, more control uh, through media outlets. Uh, but I also have to go back to the fact that the American public don't understand or appreciate how to effectuate change in self-government. When we discontinued requiring civics in U.S. history at those levels that I talked about, we truly have created an apathetic party, I mean, I mean, people. And, and when I'm running for office, I know who's going to vote. So I go and cater to them. And if you haven't voted, then I don't care about you. Politics truly is a science of getting elected. And it's, it's because of that, because of its objectivity, because of the way we now elect people, you either are for somebody or you're against somebody. There's no in-between, and that's not healthy. Yeah. How does our nation uh, heal from everything that has played out in our country over the past 12 years with the growth of, of political extremism in both parties? That's a very good question, and, and I've, I've have, have had many discussions about this. Uh, you know, closed primaries have been a, a problem in some states, Florida, for example, where you can only vote in the party uh, primary of which you are registered, uh, and that most parties are becoming more and more extreme, so you can't transcend the middle of your party the, or the more moderate factions in your party, whether you be left or right. That has had a play in it. Uh, we've also seen that um, the villainization uh, of individuals has caused more and more good people to not want to get involved in this process. 
if we start to look at what we want in our leaders and demand that, we can change the dynamics. We are the consumers of that product, of that political product. And that's one of the things we're doing at the ACPL is we're trying to show that what is it you want to be or you, you want to see in that leader? Then you need to be the leader you want to see. And, and these are some interesting characteristics that are, that are coming out now that people really want to see bring them together. And it's not so much a partisan label. Yeah. It's about character. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Florida just had a vote on about opening the primaries. Uh, right. Uh, and, and do you think you really think that can solve the problem uh, or, uh, it, or why or why not? It, it can or it can't. It depends. On, there are some states that, that, that allow it. Uh, it depends on how you structure it. Uh, in other words, you're disenfranchising a lot of voters because they're not registered with a the party. They're only choices in the general election. Uh, we're seeing more and more people leave their party and become non-party affiliates. About 30% of the registered voters in Florida are now NPAs. They don't vote in a primary. Mm. So you're just seeing the extreme choices now being given to you in the general election. That has to be addressed. And I'm not sure exactly how to do that, uh, but I think opening up the primaries may be the only way to do that. And and yeah. parties are very resistant to do that, very, very resistant to do yeah. that. You know, I think, uh, I think one trend that is really frightening is that um, voters are losing confidence in our electoral system. What do you think about that, uh, you know, particular particular trend that you're seeing both both sides feel that when they they lose it's because of of cheating or it's because it's it, not it's, it's amazing and and we first encountered this in florida in 2000 with bush v yes. gore we had the hanging chads the pregnant chads we had uh we i was just got into the legislature we were ready to to uh vote on a slate of electors to choose the president because that was that is empowered to the to the le, to the legislatures by the constitution in article 2 section 2 and it, we then realized that our system of voting was so fragile, so vulnerable to fraud and, 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 and misinterpretation that we changed it. 20 years later, Florida was probably the best example of a well-run election. We closed the polls at 7 o'clock. By 9 o'clock, we had all the results. There were no accusations or allegations of fraud. We did it right. Every state has to now do that. They have to go back. Georgia's trying to do it. Uh, Pennsylvania needs to do it. All of them need to go back because the American public are not going to want to participate in something where they don't feel they're being counted. And there could be a move afoot for people to, 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 to say, hey, there's nothing but fraud here and you'll never trust it, therefore don't go vote. We have to reinstill that state of trust in our voting system, and it's going to take some time. So, so you're saying every state has to do that. Is there anything on the national level to restore that kind of confidence? Well, yes. You know, what I'm talking about in the presidential election, that each state legislature is empowered by the Constitution to determine their electors. But there is the National Voting Rights Act that says you've got to have certain things to make sure that you don't discriminate, that you have open precincts, that every Everybody who is eligible gets a right to vote. We need to educate people on the significance of their vote. We need to educate them that it, your, your, your participation in the process doesn't just stop when you vote. You have to hold whomever you voted for or against accountable through the process. It's the only way you change the dynamics. That's the beauty of self-government. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's the beauty of having elections every two years. Yeah. You know, Dennis, you're, you're, you're doing a fantastic job with our students in the ACPL. Uh, I, I know that you've been working um, on, a, on a project recently that is documenting what your students want to see from leadership and leaders. You are having them describe the characteristics of, of a leader that 
they really would want to follow, that they want, you know, would get behind. I've I've heard you say that America has a history of good leadership. We do. Uh, and, and so describe to me what you believe a political leader should embody. Well, it really comes down to one characteristic. Uh, and it's not intellect. It's not partisanship. It's humility. Mm. Jim Collins in his book, uh, Good to Great, listed five levels of leadership. And the, the fifth being the best. And in it, he said, no great leader can exist without humility. And humility is not exposing your weaknesses. It's not self-degradation. It's understanding your strengths and weaknesses and yet modestly working for the greater good. Yeah, yeah. The American public want to see somebody who is humble but yet strong, you know, firm, yet, yet understanding. And our students, when we talk to them, you know, they, trust is very important. In fact, I asked them, I said, do you believe in self-government? Yeah, we believe in self-government. Well, if you do, don't you agree then that you need to be involved? Well, yeah. Do you want to be involved? No. Why not? Well, because people that get involved are corrupt and I don't trust them. Well, then if you don't trust yourself, who do you trust? And they say, well, yeah. I trust myself. Then I say, if not you, then whom? Yeah. Who are going to be our next leaders? Yeah. And, 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 and again, you know, you talk to these students, what are your students saying a leader? What, so what do they describe as a leader that, you know, should, uh, uh, what a leader should embody? You know, and, and this is the, we, we went through a laundry list on the whiteboard. They started spouting off not only trust, but, you know, character, uh, uh, faith, uh, just uh, family values, you know, almost like the, the, the person that they themselves would like to be. Yeah. And and when I when they when they realize that it's like, wow, you know, I believe somebody like me should be in this role. And that's when I try to encourage them. This is coming to you. Right. That's what self-government is all about. These opportunities will present themselves amazing. And when we would go to D.C. and our students would have a chance to sit down with a cabinet member or a senator or a house member, and they would realize by knowing their history, they're just average people who were given above average opportunities because they pursued those understanding that self-government yeah. gives them these opportunities. Yeah. Wow. You know, now now I know that you are teaching your students all about civil discourse yes. and, and, and you're training them how to have... Well, how to have difficult conversations, and, and but in a way, uh, you know, that leads uh, conversations that lead to real change, that lead to transformation. There's yes. no doubt about it. Talk to us about what it means to you to be able to train this amazing generation, this next generation of public servants. We're right in the middle of that right now in this semester, and I've given them some fundamental characteristics of how to have that controversial conversation in a civil fashion, the exercise of civil discourse. But you go into it with the understanding that I've got as great a chance of changing your mind as you do I. And if we know that going into that, we know it's going to be difficult. Yeah. But then you start following certain elements, and then you realize that as you exercise these elements and, and, and you get to know the person, at the end of the day, you may not have convinced them, but you have built a relationship. You've built a friendship. And, and that's key. Yeah. It is key because that, because while that issue you might not resolve today, tomorrow you may realize that whomever was your adversary yesterday will now be your ally today because you'll be on another issue. Yeah. And those relationships you can't make in social media. Those relationships you can't make, you know, over a, 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 a a computer ter a t a terminal. You've got to be one-on-one. -on -one. You've got to be understanding who they are and how they came to be. It, it, it's amazing because what we do, we give them a test, an aptitude test, a political aptitude test of, you know, are you liberal? Are you moderate? Are you conservative? And then they take that test and then I divide them in the room and suddenly they look across the room and who was their best friend is, oh my gosh, they're, that, yeah. they're all there. And I said, <laughs> does that change the way you deal with this person right, now? Right. It shouldn't. 
It's, right. like, it's what's called identity politics, and that's not good. Right. You know, it's the greater good that brings us together and our focus on that. And actually, you know, you mentioned Tip O'Neill and, and Ronald Reagan. I mean, I think they did that, right? They, they did. They, uh, they'd have dinner together. They would have lunch, dinner and, together. Yeah. Uh, they would enjoy each other's company when they didn't have to be in the fray. But when they were in the fray, oh, yeah. oh they were in the fray. <laughs> but that's, it, it's, it's okay. Yeah. That's the process. Right. And, and that's what we're trying to teach our students, that the process eventually leads to resolution yeah and 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 that's where we want to get no that's that's so good uh, let me ask you this what are you learning about this next uh, generation of political science students what what is different about them from previous generations they are hungry for knowledge hmm. they are hungry for resolution they they, they are skeptical if you will of People my age, you know, my color hair, which is gray, and, and, and you know, and, and, and my whiteness, just because they're like, didn't you guys put us in this bad situation? How can we trust you? And I, and I, I work on developing the relationship with them. And I am, in, actually, I'm motivated by them. Because I talk to them, what we do, we, I say, where do you get your news? And I find that they get their news from sources that are non-traditional. I ask them, where do they want to be in five years? Where do they want to be in 10 years? How are you going to accomplish those objectives? And, and you start to develop this relationship with your students where you realize that these opportunities are going to present themselves. And, and they understand that they're going to be in a position of leadership. And so knowing the process helps them tremendously. Being able to bridge divides. We don't always agree. I mean, no good relationship is ever like that. In fact, if we all agreed, we'd all be extremists. And, and we don't want to see that. We want to have that crucible of ideas to be vetted back into. And that's what these students understand. They, 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 they question, but yet they're earnestly seeking for a better way of doing things. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can tell you, they, they are blessed students to have your your mentorship in their lives and so grateful for what you're bringing to them. That's, that's Thank you. I'm sure. learning from them too. You know, before we, uh, as you know, I, I like to close out with a quick fire round and just ask some quick questions. But before we do that, I, I just want to ask you about the recent um, executive orders that mm -hmm. have been made by President Biden. Uh, for our listeners who might not know what's been going on, can you tell us exactly what um, an executive order is? Yes, and let me start off by saying what it isn't. It is not a new law. Okay. You can't, it cannot violate a constitution, it cannot violate a statute, it cannot violate a regulatory rule uh, to some degree. What it is, it is the president's interpretation of how a law ought to be applied. Almost every executive order that's ever issued is challenged in the courts. Uh, it cannot create new law. It must be his interpretation of how the law needs to be applied. We saw that in DACA. We've seen it in a, a numerous uh, of areas, including health care. Uh, all those executive orders have been in, uh, challenged in the courts. Now, an executive order does not survive a president, which is one of the reasons that Biden started issuing all his executive orders right. to undo uh, executive orders that Trump did. Now, I will tell you, he's on an accelerated rate. Uh, I don't think there's been a president who has done as yeah, many I think as over fast. 50. Yes, today, yes, yes. Uh, but he's also using these for political purposes. Mm. Uh, you can placate your base, but he's got to be careful. You know, he's got a lot uh, of the left that he's got to placate. The Bernie Sanders of the world, the AOCs of the world that want to take his party more further to the left, he can kind of placate by doing a few executive orders. And, and that, because it'll never happen legislatively. Chances of it ever happening legislatively are, are, are nil. So he can put that on the back burner and work on other issues. You know, executive orders have become the norm. 
It's been a way for presidents to say, hey, if I can't get a legislature that's going to work with me, then I'm going to do it myself. But there are restrictions on the executive orders, and it's all subject to judicial, judicial review. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's good to hear. As we move into the fire round, I want to ask you a few questions surrounding everything kind of we've just, just discussed. And I just want you to answer kind of what's your gut uh, with this. And uh, these are going to be very practical and, and applicable to the lives of our listeners. So let's begin. First, uh, what can our listeners do to be more involved in politics without being burnt out by it? Get to know who your elected officials are at every level. The interesting thing is, when I was in office, I, if I got letters from constituents, we would respond. We, if they came to visit, I would always go meet with them. They're the ones that sent me there. If you reach out to your elected official and they don't respond to you, then you know you need to get more involved to try to get somebody who will. But if, they find, if you find out that they are receptive to you, then you can help effectuate policy changes through them. It gets you part of the process. Uh, I would definitely say get involved in your community. Uh, you know, all politics are local, and yeah. getting involved in the community is one of the best ways to do that. Yeah. In fact, that's one of my favorite books, Tip O'Neill. Yep. All politics are local. Um, how, how do we create s- s- uh, spaces for civil discord? We have to recognize the significance of having it. We need to elevate the awareness of it by saying these people, this person is a statesman. These these people exhibit the qualities we want to see. And 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 you know we've got we've got debate teams. We need to put debate teams up there more. Uh, you know there, there was a television show when I was a kid. There was an intellectual called High Q. Uh, you know that where they come out. We need to see programs that accentuate uh, classic debate the 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 uh, the, 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 the the discussion of these te- difficult topics in a fashion that we want to see it resolved and if we can do that if we can make it more of the practice that we want to see then we will start becoming that in our lives yeah. uh, civil discourse is a daily exercise yeah. What are some good resources our listeners can turn to? That's an interesting uh, question, too. You know, traditional ones like the Wall Street Journal, the Economist, even the Washington Post are out there, but there are also others online. And I think what you need to do is you need to subscribe to the area of belief that you have, whether it be, uh, you know, liberal, conservative, moderate, and find out who are the, the mainstay think tanks, news resources in those area, and start to follow them. Uh, but look for objectivity. Look for objectivity. Activity. Journalism has become entertainment, not what it used to be, which is the who, what, when, and where. And, uh, and today, you have to have the objectivity so that you can draw your own conclusion. Right. Uh, yeah. And be able to have great conversations because if you don't know the other perspective and all you've been focusing on is your own, how, how can you try to, to, exactly. to connect together? And it's okay to change your mind. Um, uh, final question. Are, are you hopeful about the future of this country? I am incredibly hopeful about the future of this company, com- country. <laughs> uh, and the reason I say that is because you've allowed me the opportunity to be here with these students for the last couple of years, and they have motivated me. They have given me great confidence in the future. Mm. And as I look at this next generation coming about, I think that they're going to rise to the level of, of leadership that we need to see. In fact, I challenge them and say, you know what? You You've got the opportunity of being the next greatest generation. Yeah. Wow. Well, Dennis, I want to thank you for joining today on, on the Framework uh, Leadership Podcast. I'm grateful for the insight that you provide our, our listeners. And if you want to stay up to date with former Congressman uh, Dennis Ross and the American Center for Political Leadership, you can follow them at it's the ACPL on Instagram and Twitter. Well, that's all we have for today's episode. Thanks for listening to Framework Leadership. You have a great week.